this segment, which is the fourth one, looking at family life and parenting in an age of open-ended values, we've been looking so far at um, returning to godly foundations. That was in the last segment. In this segment, I'd like to focus on um, what we do with um, the battlefront. But first, just a quick recap. As we looked at Psalm 11 verse 3 in the last segment, looking at returning to godly foundations, we said only godly foundations assure us of the ultimate shelter, security, and sustenance. And we called for three commitments. And the commitments required are personal salvation, secondly, personal holiness and the daily application of godly values, thirdly, understanding the nature and purpose of God's gift of family and parenting. And concerning this, we say that in our understanding of Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 28, the purpose of the family is threefold. Number one, reflection, reflecting God's image. Secondly, and in reflecting God's image, that's why we have Ephesians 5, and we'll talk about it again today, where clearly the family setting with the husband or the father, who is the family head, seen in his relationship with the wife, is showed as representing Christ, and he's told, love your wife as Christ does the church. So, Again, the reflection of God's image there. Replication. God has told us in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 28, to be fruitful, to multiply, to replenish. And that does focus as well on the role of procreation and the bringing of children into this life. And we've just dedicated children here. That's a very key area. And those of you in young ages where you are productive, be very deliberate about playing your role in procreating, bringing righteous seed and offspring who will perpetuate the ideals of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That aspect of fruitfulness, multiplication and replenishing is key and ruling is about exercising godly dominion in every sector. So, keeping that in mind, session four today focuses on what I call key battlefronts. And I want to share very simply how to face these key battlefronts. And these key battlefronts are things that we face as families. And for younger families, it's even more serious. So there are key passages that we will focus on. Some we've preempted already. We'll be looking at Deuteronomy 6. We'll be going back to Psalm 127. We'll be going back to Psalm 128. I would like to identify four battlefronts, basically from experience. Battlefront number one. I call it the career considerations front. Here, Young couples battle with who goes first in terms of the career 
Should the lady just stay at home and do nothing while um, the husband is out there and advancing his career and his profession? Or is that staying back? In fact, a second class thing that should be considered as nothing else because it's what we call um, the role of a housewife. And I've told you that that's not biblical. There are issues of conflicted values. And we've preempted the issue of values already. But I will highlight the battlefront of what many, many uh, young couples face today. The issue of faithfulness, fidelity, versus what we know is the open front, non-committal open friendships. Um, sustaining consistency against competing life priorities is the third battlefront. And the fourth one has to do with general parent dynamics. And I'll be proposing uh, what I call the olive tree principle today. Let's start with the career considerations. When young couples are being counseled pre-maritally, there are discussions many times about career. And when they're being discussed at that stage, they appear like they're very remote. But once the two settle down in marriage, if one is an accountant and the other one is a lawyer or whatever the profession might be, and depending on the stage at which they are in life, and for most young couples in the early to late 20s or early to late 30s, it's really career period. And if maybe a first qualification in a particular field has been attained, someone may be looking at a second or an incremental level of qualification by some measure. And sometimes if those things are not well positioned and discussed because of the pressure that comes from what we've already described as a secular society, institutions that are built, some deliberately, some indirectly because they've just simply lent themselves to the going syndrome. They are fielded in a way where dispositionally, just by you being in that institution, you're focused more on your own advancement. And it's very easy for you as a husband, very easy for you as a wife, let me start with the husbands, to forget about the fact that now you have a partner for life. And as you're making decisions for career, take time to discuss them. Don't come with finished products at home. Oh, now I just, I just enrolled and I got accepted and I've paid already. In the meantime, there are school bills. And he says, you paid? Oh, really? But remember I talked about my school as well. When are we paying? So now, tension begins. Who goes first? Sometimes we do not discover how the institutions where we work condition us towards the me first syndrome. And we know very well that in marriage, the balance is not me first. The balance is what Jesus taught. So let's look at it. In Ephesians 5, which I said we'll be looking at anyway. The Bible says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And he gave himself for it. 
The institutions out there, society out there tells us marriage is give and take. Family life is give and take. I say no. It is not give and take. When you read the scriptures, if we could proceed to the next slide, please. If you read the scriptures, marriage and family life is really give. Christ so loved the world that he gave. His only begotten son. That demonstration of love by our God and king is a demonstration of what a husband and a wife ought to be thinking about. It's give. Instead, I was talking to a couple. As guest of honor at a wedding. Uh, the daughter of our beloved uh, friend, the late Reverend Manza. Uh, and I was saying to the young couple, I was saying to Chikondi and Timothy, it can just be give, give. It can just be give and take. Because of the give and take arrangement, people give halfway, and halfway in their lives they say, I've given enough, I'm taking what's mine, you've given enough, you're taking what's yours, and they part. Because they were giving and taking. So it's now time to take and go. No, 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 it's only give. If you give more of yourself and she gives more of herself, you have enough to keep you going. It is such a commitment that it needs a lifetime to fulfill your dreams. Uh, did you hear that? Marriage is such a huge commitment that it requires a lifetime to fulfill your dreams. So you can't go halfway and say, I've given enough, so let me take now. If God gave the Jesus balance, is give. It means that family life must be underscored with giving. Giving. So, when you have those career discussions, think about giving to your friend. Think about your friend first. Discuss the who goes first. And you can't go in saying, I'm the man, I lead, so let me finish, you wait. Hello? There may be trouble there. So treat, treat that very carefully. Career considerations become a serious battlefront. We have institutions today. I was talking to uh, someone who actually called because they were saying, Bishop, can we talk to uh, some of these uh, institutions. And they were talking about a particular institution. In fact, it's, it's, a, it's a government ministry. Um, this is somebody who, because of uh, career, the government ministry they're working for transferred them to somewhere far out while the rest of the family is here. And they were unable to make that move because uh, the wife is, is in a profession where to move would mean uh, losing that job. Now, it may be easy to say, well, well, let's just give up the job and go because it's family first. That, that's true to some extent. But when institutions today can, without thought of someone's family life, just issue transfers, there is a problem. We need to see in industry a consideration where the, the company can talk to their very well-choiced 
and much valued player in their goals to say, look, we're considering opening uh, a plant in such and such a location, but how does that do for your family? You know, if we have some institutions that become family centers, I can assure you those institutions will go very far. But some, and in fact, most institutions in industry will make those moves with, a, with very little consideration. And if a person goes in and tries to talk to them and say, no, but how about the family? They say, well, make a choice. There are others that we can employ. And sometimes, very painfully, young couples have to make those choices where they're living apart and it's unhealthy. You can only do that for so long. The times you can go and work elsewhere and come back maybe a few weeks and one off, two, three times, that's about it, but not perpetually. And sometimes that happens at a very critical time. And family is unable to allow for one job to drop because they're thinking about income, they're thinking about what impacts them, there may be children coming, those are considerations. Battlefronts. The earlier they are discussed, the better. And for the Christian family, the balance is the Jesus one. Sit down and discuss, make those choices, knowing that you're preferring one before the other. Is that making sense to somebody here today? Lift up one hand and shout, praise the Lord. I want us to move on to a second key battlefront of conflicted values. The bulk of our church family here today is composed of young adults that are in this phase where because of engagement in industry and in careers young husbands young wives are facing conflicted values and we've talked about these values and the values the negative values being pushed through the entertainment and industry through um, media and through most of these um, um, cultures that don't lend themselves to fidelity in the word of God is the fact that now a married person can sustain their marriage and openly share that they have somebody else that they have as a friend and that they've sought the consent of their partner to carry on. That's happening. And here in Lusaka, so you have couples having parties where they have what they call a partner exchange. Oh yeah. And it's a known arrangement. You haven't heard? All right. Happening. Now, what that has done is that it spilled over 
to young people who now say, well, they don't really need marriage. They'll have friendships and they'll have these parties where they try out with each other. And when they hear that a person is committed to one partner in marriage, they actually laugh. Now that pressure is on you young couples in the workplaces. So it becomes a little harder and old fashioned to say that you have one wife and that you're committed to them for life. Because you feel like they will say you're old fashioned. But let's go to Proverbs chapter five and read verse number 15. It's a serious battlefront. It's the same battlefront that we talk about often. When you see the thread of themes in movies, they are presenting marriage and family life as a thing where you can't constrict yourself to a one man, one wife relationship. Now we, and the way they are appealing to people in Africa, and some people are buying into this, especially people in academic circles, they say, well, but they, we have a culture of polygamy here in, in, uh, in Africa, so we might as well practice this. Well, in the, in the word of God, it's very clear that while we have instances where people in the Old Testament did end up having one or more wives, God clearly indicated that that was contrary to his order. So the fact that it was historically recorded in the Bible doesn't make it normative. The Bible is clear, and there's a frank record here that records the good, the bad, and the ugly. We have cases of incest recorded in the Bible that doesn't legitimize incest. There's a clear indication that incest is sin. We have cases of uh, homosexuality recorded in the Bible, like in, in the case of Sodom, where people were asking to have male-to-male relationships. That doesn't make those relationships correct. The Bible is also very categorical in saying that those relationships are wrong. So we have record of polygamy in the Bible. That doesn't make it right. So we have our cultures in Zambia that practice polygamy. They are culturally, they may be cultures, it may be acceptable culturally, but for the child of God, that is wrong. And therefore, it follows that the order of God is one man, one wife. Hallelujah. And that you cannot have this so-called new order today where with consent you can have, uh, as they call it, a side chick on the side because more men, men do this more than women. Women do this as well, but more men do this than women. That's what statistics shows. When I was um, working on uh, chapter six of my thesis, part of the data that I found in my research led to a society in Alabama, USA, where I found in that society, and they use the Bible. This is a society that's speaking, they, they, they run some kind of a church and they speak against the section of the church which they have labeled as teaching abstinence, and yet this thing doesn't work. And um, they have gone all out. And that society talks about people living in these kinds of relationships where knowingly they go together as a community and they introduce main partner number one, 
but then they go on and introduce any other partner that they have found. So they all know each other and they know how the ring works. I was shocked, but it's documented and they're a registered society and they call themselves Christian. I was shocked. And yet the Bible is so clear. So Proverbs chapter five, the value we want to project for us is that exclusiveness is a non-negotiable. Because the Bible says, drink water from your own system. Running water from your own well. Hallelujah. Carry on. Next verse. Should your springs overflow into the streets, your streams of water in the public squares, let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. So, if you're coming into marriage, be prepared to be committed. One man, one woman. Faithfully committed for life. But I tell you, it is a battlefront. It's a battlefront. Because we're seeing more and more young couples beginning to face these challenges. And you must know that you have our support to help you to stay faithful and strong. Because the word says, that's your portion in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Very, very important. Verse number 18. May your fountain be blessed. May you rejoice in the wife of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. That's a married couples fellowship staff. Sorry, uh, spilled over. We'll leave it for the married couples. Why, my son, be intoxicated with another man's wife? Why embrace the bosom? Of, an, of a wayward woman. It's very clear. Exclusivity or exclusiveness, if you will, is a non-negotiable. And if you're coming in, be prepared to be committed for life because that's what God says. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I often talk about this, that if this wasn't possible, God wouldn't give it. So let's not, let's not yield to the things of the world. Make it look like you just can't. Men have always said, this is not embarrass anyone here, that you can tame your eyes. You can tame your eyes. Men have those issues with, with eyes. Men are taken up much more by what they see. You can tame your eyes. I've often quoted Job, chapter 31, remember. I've made a covenant with my eyes. Never to look lustfully at a woman. As a man, you can make that commitment. Amen. Shall I hear the men say amen? amen? You have to sustain it. Matthew 5, verse 13 to 16. Um, it's very clear. We know that passage. We don't need to read it again. But let your light so shine before men. What this means also, men, is that we must learn to speak up. Women have been known to speak up more for the family. Generally, for their children. We need men's voices speaking up for the family. Are we together? We need men's voices. Now, just a few weeks ago, and I wish I had come with, uh, with that folder. I know it's in, in, one, it's, 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 in, it's in the car somewhere. But just a few weeks ago, there was a workshop. And we sent a representative to that workshop. In that workshop, there were members of parliament present and um, a number of young people uh, coming from youth organizations, then um, some donor, funder, 
who supports these, these, these particular groupings. And there was discussion on the age of consent. And for Zambia, we know that minimum uh, in, the, in the constitution now, we, the general guideline is 18 years. There are discussions around the age of consent, meaning really talking about the age at which young people could freely make their decisions without needing their parents. And they tie this to reproductive health issues. And I've warned before that when they discuss reproductive health, reproductive health discussions are okay. But when you discuss reproductive health, leaning towards rights, we know the agenda is to estrange and pull the young people away, more, more away from their parents. And they want to do that sooner than later. So the discussion here in Zambia is around the fact that no, 18, in fact, although it's not the official aid, but it's the general guideline towards marriage and, and, so, and those kinds of areas where one is considered an adult. So there's a thought, no, let's bring it to something lower so that young people can access reproductive health services earlier without necessarily needing the consent of their parents. Is that all really? No. We read much more. Now, in a conversation like that, my suggestion is that because members of parliament are already involved and they're talking to young people, and before too long, it will go back to parliament, and it is, it is very calculated. They target MPs within the country. They target the Sadiq uh, parliament. They, they target the Africa, uh, Pan-African parliament, and there are levels, there's funding for those groups, and when they sit in there, there are allowances. There are all kinds of incentives. I am suggesting that men catch those conversations early. Get to know your members of parliament and have a discussion. And make a demand that this talk about age of consent coming down is not anywhere. In fact, if anything, we should take it up. Hello? We should take it up. Because we need parents to flex more. The pressures are larger. And we need parents exercising more conversations with their children. There is this belief, especially in Africa, that some of the things to do with sexual reproductive health, or any, in fact, any talk around sex, is a taboo. That shouldn't be so. In the word of God, we can discuss anything. We can break that culture, and we can discuss. So we can't just say, no, parents aren't doing the job. And they are using data that is unverified. It is not true that parents are failing to do the job. It's unverified. The representative we had in that meeting from the church, thankfully, challenged that data. When they made the claim that parents are failing, she said, but where is that data from? Where is the evidence? And that parent is a woman. And like I said, women speak more. We need more voices from the husbands. We need more voices from the husbands. So I'm saying, speak up. Philippians chapter 2, verse 15 and 16, says that we live in a wicked and crooked generation. It's a battlefront. But the Bible says, before whom you shine. So shine as stars. May you be the star husband. I said, may you be the star husband. May you be the star family head. In Jesus' holy name. And I think about the movie that we have used here before uh, in relation to family values, where the man asked, where are the men? Who? Where are you? And I hope you can stand up and say, I am here as a courageous man. And you can stand for your family. So conflicted values, particularly picking those that challenge fidelity and faithfulness, 
and they call more for a non-committal open friendship fraternity should be confronted and we should say exclusiveness is non-negotiable. I want to go to key battle number three very quickly. A battlefront that I have discovered is, 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 is very critical, is what I call sustaining uh, consistency. In running a family, sustaining consistency in engaging routinely and predictably with the children is not easy. And our core is to engage early. During the week, we were doing some teaching for the parents that just dedicated their children. And I talked about how we abdicate so much and allow our school system to just take its toll. And when children come to career choices and they're just given to a school system that doesn't really prepare them best for where, where their gifting is. Unfortunately, you understand that? We, have this, we still have this thing, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad that uh, uh, I heard uh, sometime, many months ago, um, one of the PSs in the Ministry of Education, particularly uh, PS, uh, what's his name? Yeah, Dr. Jobix Kalumba. I heard him talking about the need to revisit the syllabus and change it around and make it more responsive. And I said, that, I'm praying that we'll go in that direction. Because imagine, we have our children, especially in the upper senior levels, always just to the whole of secondary school, taking how many subjects? Eight to 10 subjects. And these are brilliant kids. The fact that they would come out with distinctions at the end is amazing. But imagine 10 subjects. Even Britain, from whom, from whom we borrowed part of our education system, at some point, pull away everything and they allow them to focus mainly on the sciences only. And so that they can specialize. So you have children taking 10 subjects, writing Cambridge, writing this, and so on. So my counsel to parents this week, as we were teaching, is that you engage early, and this is what Deuteronomy chapter 6 is about. Engage early, see where their gifting is, so that early in life you begin to support them. The realize, saying to them, the realization for us in our early life as, as parents came much later when we began to realize, my goodness, we could have engaged much earlier, especially on the career side. Because when, for instance, one of our sons was beginning to look at the arts, we insisted, no, you, this can't be a career. And it was collision course. And we kept on, no, this can't be a career. No, back and forth. Until he found a, a school that was actually in the area of his interest and we had been saying, no, do this, do the other. We realized, uh-uh, uh-uh. We've got, to, we've got to give in. But with hindsight, we're seeing that if we had engaged early, we could have contributed more to the development of that area that's strong in his life much sooner than later. But you know, we abdicate this to the school system. And the school system comes with geography, civics, stuff that's learning about the, uh, the Maldives, the prairies, you know, the great... Uh. I know one time when we were driving through Canada, we saw Lake Erie, I said, oh, Lake Erie. But what did that do? We just drove past it, Lake Erie. Chapa. What did that do? I remembered it from geography, that was all. 
And we were coming back again. I said, So what? We've got to do better than Lake Erie. Are we together? Let's engage. So let me read quickly Deuteronomy and, and, and those two things that given. Um, yeah, Deuteronomy 6. Let me do that very quickly. And then we'll go to the um, next stage. Uh, let's, let's run quickly to verse number 6 in the interest of time. Because I need to wrap this up uh, with the next item. And number 7. So these commands I give to you, let me be yours. Let them be on your hearts. Verse 7. Uh, this is what I want to emphasize that you've got to engage routinely and predictably. So it says, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit down. There has to be a routine and a regularity to this. When you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. So engage routinely, predictably. That means for you and I as busy fathers, we've got to remember to make time. So there is time to sit with our children. Are we together? This is easier said than done, I can tell you. But this is the way we sustain consistency. It's a battlefront. So it's not something you want to do one month and then seven months pass and then you do again. There's going to be a loss. There's got to be some consistency in doing this. But mother and father engaging. Family head, single parent you engaging directly. May God grant you grace in Jesus' name. Psalm 127, verse 3 to 5. And when you go on there, it talks about these becomes, they become symbols on your forehead and so on. So this is an impressionable exercise, but I can't do more than that, so let me move on to Psalm 127. Psalm 127 talks about children being a heritage and that they are arrows sent out. They go out and they will contend in the city gates. I'm suggesting there early sharpening of these arrows towards destiny. So there's destiny marked on these children that we're praying for over here. Your role is to nurse, pastor, and tend that destiny. Sometimes these children might appear rebellious. They are still under you. That's the reason why this age of constant issue must be seen as an attack from the enemy when he's seeking to be lowered. You have a pastoral role over your son and daughter. And no government, no institution can claim to have more rights over your children and to have more interest over them than you. No! And they must be told to the face. They must be told to the face. They can't appear. And you children, by the way, don't think that someone else there cares for you more than your parents. No. They're lying to you. Some of your parents may not be as educated as you. They may not be as smart as you. But they're wiser than you. So listen to them. Listen to them. While we're in Kasama, as we were, I called for some intercessors to come to the front. And among those intercessors, I noticed one old lady that I could see clearly in that crowd. She was our oldest. So I asked her to come and lead in prayer. And she prayed in Bemba. My goodness. My goodness. But what was really powerful was that in the prayer, she actually stated somewhere that she looked at herself and she said she observed that she was the oldest in the room. And I said, 
She has that realization. So the prayer I know meant so much. And I asked the media team to cut it out. You may listen to it someday. But I asked the media team to, to cut that out because it was something special. She may not have even an education. But that lady, that mother, I can tell you as I speak now. In that room, she was wiser. As I speak now, she's wiser than all of us. She's seen more years here on earth. And you're having a PhD or whatsoever does not water down and make her somebody who cannot give to you. So I'm saying to you young people, honor your mother and father that your days may be long. Everybody shout hallelujah. So children, for us parents, are heritage. We send them forth. Early sharpening of these arrows to the world's destiny is important. Lastly, I could say more here, but I want to do lastly, just now because my, my time is up. And because the, for the next few weeks, we'll have a guest next Sunday. And Sunday after, there may be other things happening. So I, let me just throw this in. If there is a chance to come and do more detail later, we'll come back to it. But allow me to conclude it here. So the fourth battlefront is parenting dynamics. Now, I won't spend too much time here, but I do want to share a principle. The principle I share here is what I call the principle of um, the olive tree. In Psalm 128, the olive, olive tree principle, you, verse 3, your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Let's talk a little bit about this olive tree principle. I believe this is an undergirding principle for parenting, generally, to give you and I the commitment that we need towards a deliberate way of utilizing a biblical approach towards parenting. You see, olive trees are dispositioned as a symbolic picture towards posterity. What I share with you is in, um, um, is in public domain. You will find some articles talking about why olive trees are important. Generally, there are nine things that you could talk, talk about, but I've picked only five. Very quickly, let me mention them because they bear very serious uh, implications. The olive tree is known for longevity. It says that the olive tree can live for thousands of years. And there are many trees in the Mediterranean region that are scientifically verified to be as old as 2,000 years, still living today and still producing. May that be your portion in Jesus' name. Submit to longevity. Second thing about olive trees is that they are said to be prolific. An olive tree starts bearing fruit at around five years of age. And they say that there is a tree in Croatia that is um, radiocarbon dated to be 1,600 years old, still produce, producing abundant fruit. May that be your portion in Jesus' name. The third area regarding olive trees is that they are indestructible. They have a root system that is so robust that it is capable of generating itself even when it's above the ground uh, over the structure that is. If, if, if it's destroyed above the ground as a structure, 
are destroyed maybe by frost in areas where frost is uh, real and it's a hazard, by fire or by disease of any kind. It is said from underneath, the olive tree begins to shoot up again. And it's been known that it is indestructible. And God's family has been fashioned that way. But you and I must disposition ourselves to that level of indestructibility. It doesn't matter how much money they put around institutions and agendas, secular agendas that are trying to reconfigure, to crush, and to pull away and take us away from the traditional family. We will survive in the name of Jesus. We will survive. And may that be your portion. Indestructible. And God's principles tailor us towards that. Fourthly, olive trees are unpatchable. Olive trees are drought friendly. Just like eucalyptus trees, they do not need to be watered. Number five, olive trees are considered generous. Large olive trees produce an average of about 400 pounds of olives annually. And he said older and larger trees can produce even more. And right now it says approximately there may be about 865 million olive trees in the world today. And that's why we continue to have olives all over. Now that olive tree principle should be the principle for the child of God. And the Bible says here, your wife will be a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots. That's the family I would like you to believe God for. As you procreate, as children come. Some of you may not have children now. They're just in dream form. Dream big. When your moment comes, procreate. Is there a witness in the house? Is there a witness in the house? Hallelujah. And you grandparents, pray. Hallelujah. So beloved, uh, I wanted to front this so you've got some things to, to, to look at and study. We may come back as and when, but I feel that I must put this, this, this deposit in today. So four battlefronts. Career considerations. Who goes first? I've told you exactly how to handle that. Use the Jesus principle. You know, when you have those career differences. Career considerations. Second battlefront. Conflicted values, faithfulness versus non-committal, open friendships. I've told you how to face that battlefront. Exclusiveness is non-negotiable. We stay with the word and God will be with you. Sustaining consistency, you've got to keep at it. Uh, there's a man called Sangsta. We read him when we we're doing public speaking lessons. And he talks about a principle of stick to itiveness. Stick to it. Keep doing. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Be like that Duracell they, they advertise. You just keep going. Never die. Never say die. A consistency of engaging, utilizing godly principles, talking, sitting with your children, never giving up. Praying for them while they're in the womb. They bond with us. They hear voices. All those are important things. Parent dynamics. I recommend, I've recommended the olive tree principle. And the principle here is take these things bowing down in the presence of the Lord. Beloved, may God bless you. And I pray that in these days of open-ended values, you will excel and you will survive and you will be who God wants you to be in Jesus' name. Amen.
Please stand for a moment.